Welcome, listeners, to Connect the Dots. I'm Allison Rose Levy, here with you every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. I'm a longstanding journalist of the environment, food, health, media, public policy, and popular beliefs and attitudes that influence our ability to understand what's going on in our society and protect the earth and future generations of children. Um, Each week on Connect the Dots, we talk with different advocates, activists, authors, scientists, um, movement leaders, filmmakers, poets, all different kinds of people who look at our interconnected world um, from varying perspectives. Um, On today's show, we have a returning guest, Jody Evans, the co-founder and director of Code Pink, uh, as well as an after-school writing program in Los Angeles. She's been a visionary peace activist for several decades um, and is involved with a host of activities um, through her ever-evolving and always exciting methods to promote peace. Um, Jody uh, graced our show here, Connect the Dots. I think it, uh, gosh, it was like five to seven years ago probably. We had last um, spoken on the show when I, at, you know, at actually a Bioneers East Coast conference on Massachusetts where you spoke, Jody. And it was um, a wonderful conversation. And at this crit- critical juncture um, for our country and for the earth, and for women um, who are um, the major participants in Code Pink, I think it's wonderful and very timely that you can be here for this conversation today. Thank you so much, and welcome to Connect the Dots. Thank you so much for having me on. always love being in conversation with you. Yeah, it's wonderful. I feel the same way. Um, it's been too long, but it's great to be doing it now. And I think this is a very timely moment because um, we have a lot going on uh, in uh, the government and in our world. You know, we have Australia on fire. We have an impeachment hearing. Um, we have, you know, declared act of war um, in an ungrounded, illegal fashion. Uh, on the part of our government. We have uh, a recent uh, controversial incident at a debate, as well as a forward moving into the primary season. And we face a lot of choices. Um, Everyone, but especially uh, women, are at the forefront at the moment in terms of what we need to embrace and what we need to do Um, to alter the destructive trajectory that this society is on. Um, So I'm hoping today we can, you know, garner your wisdom on that um, to really help people get oriented because I think this is, so much of this is going on simultaneously, it's kind of overwhelming. So I guess um, what I'd first like to ask you about is, how you know I've mentioned several different things. You could pick any one of them or two of them, or how do you kind of how would you define or or sketch a kind of um overarching picture that um kind of holds and explains where we are um at this moment you know that is kind of prompting all of these different things to be popping up and happening. Oh, awesome leading question. <laughs> well, let's just compl- explain the, the, the world right now. 
But mm-hmm. actually, for me, that's not so hard. Um, mm-hmm. So as an anti-war activist, um, well, first let me just start as a feminist, which is what I, you know, started out with in 1960, um, coming into the world as a feminist. Um, I was an anti-war activist. I was also a maid making $1.87 an hour, and it was organized to march for a living wage, and we won. Um, and so it really set me on the path of taking on the man and the structures that were violent and um, oppressive and destructive that I saw in 1968. Um, so in many ways I have done that. I, by the way, ran three presidential campaigns. Um, so watching this one is always, um, you know, watching them is fascinating, the the patterns that happen and um, how much passion and this, you know how they build a uh, crescendo and um i was sad that um elizabeth warren didn't know that when she reacted to not shaking bernie's hand the other night because it is kind of the gladiator ring of our time and um it's really important when we're in these races to to remember that they are a certain form that this country uses to kind of call a candidate and one becomes who one will be when they lead through the process. Um, And so it's super important to stay heart open um, as much as possible and remember that it's a process and that what we want to really see is that how, how human can we stay in these processes because uh, we think a campaign is hard, but serving in elected office has its own um, extremes that we that the campaign itself tempers people to be able to to be in. But I digress. So no, um, that's an, not a, a digression. Com- I think it's a really amazing <laughs> insight, actually, um, because um, you know just that just exactly the nugget that you described from your long experience, um, you know, created actually, you know, a very unfortunate division uh, in the progressive movement. I think right now we're moving past it. Um, but to see <laughs> With that the help of heart- Hillary, who decided to attack Bernie? <laughs> I know. I think actually, I, I kind of, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I, I, exactly because it's like uh, she has, she, she's done more for us than 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 that uh, particular uh, event, which was quite harmful and led to a loss of trust on in many directions. Um, uh, you know, among people who are aligned in other ways, which is something unfortunate and very ill-timed to see in in this important and dire an election. Um, well, I hope the results won't be dire. Um, but what we're facing is, <laughs> um, you know, right now. Um, but, yeah, she she did a huge favor. In mo- I, I, in fact, was joking that um, Richard Branson was on the phone with her, uh, inviting her to take a getaway and come onto his yacht um, before she could help the progressives anymore, you know. Um, <laughs> but that's my... <laughs> Save your oh fantasies that uh, you know uh, her, her, her folks, her people, who, whoever they like or dislike, uh, you know who who has the task of trying to kind of walk her away from from the public 
podium right now. Um, <laughs> not not enviable, but um, but um, um, I would say it was it. You know, that is a moment of where I felt being a woman um, in leadership made a difference. But it also was that I was serving as a campaign manager for a man who agreed with me. So in it's just as a feminist, I I behaved differently, but. Um, Jerry Brown, whose campaign I was running, also was aligned with the feeling. And that was mm-hmm. in the middle of, you know, winning. It was like, there we were, we were on the trajectory, we were winning all the can- all the states, and then the Clintons took us on. We created the campaign not to win, but to raise an issue of, if you don't get money out of politics, it doesn't matter what you stand for, because the rich will always win. And... Yes. Um, so that was really our commitment, and and the beginning of the campaign is, and it, it was a hundred dollar limit to the you know to the campaign, and this is before um, computers etc. So even just to get the contribution, we had an eight hundred number, which became a cultural joke and a celebration. Um, but when we started, I said, "Don't worry, Jerry. They won't let you win. They'd kill you first because you don't represent them." And so when it got down to it on no money and no staff we were the last two standing jerry brown and 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 clinton and the clintons got really nasty and full of lies and they had watched them do it to every candidate um including songus in florida guy and that it was so distressing to him his cancer came back Mm. um but there they were lying and um and just you know trying to pull us down with every method and I'd been running the campaign the whole, you know, for nine months. It was, you know, March or something. And all of a sudden, all these men show up for the New York primary, and they want to make a commercial, and they make a really hateful commercial about, like, all the things that Clinton had does wrong. And this is after you watch him lie to the American people and everyone just swallow it about Monica Flowers. Mm-hmm. So I saw the commercial, and I said, nope. Nope, didn't get in this race to do that. And they'd already delivered it to all the, and it was supposed to start playing in an hour. And I said to Jerry, I, I, I can't, that, this is, that's hateful, that's mean. It's a level of personal that we didn't get in this for. Um, we got, we, we're here because this is politics and we are playing on the political platform about issues that people need to understand. If you go there, we lose everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, he agreed. He didn't want to go there either. And mm-hmm. we pulled them all. And I pulled. I closed wow. the campaign down that day. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's not what this is about. And, do you know, I, I saved the money we had left, took over the convention for due days, actually was able to clearly show the difference between Jerry and Clinton and did not lose a delegate because they were there because they believed in something. And they could not be swayed no matter how much was thrown at them. And that reminded me of like, yes, we are, you know, this, this theater as a presidential campaign is about values and it's about the issues and it's politic. And we forget that, you know, politic is a form that gets corrupted every day as we try to make it mean something else. And um, so, yes, uh, remembering that this is theater and that it is the place that you want to use to demand where someone stands and understand differences. 
because it really sets a tone for the whole country for a very long time. Um, wow. Yeah, so all that said, back to being a feminist. Um, you know, being no, a feminist I just want to do me, one follow-up. I just want to do one yeah. follow-up uh, on, on what you just um, you know, brought up in 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 describing your it's, for one thing, it's an amazing uh, reflection to think about what would have happened um, had your campaign prevailed. <laughs> you, you know, to the whole course. Of, uh, I mean, that's that that's the mm, thing I know it better. Would, it would not have mm-hmm. prevailed. It would right. eventually have been eaten alive by the lies that you know doing that then was going to bring out other. You know, it's just going to become a fist fight at the level right. that doesn't serve anything. So there's no. There's the wisdom of knowing the game you're in mm-hmm. and how it's played and how it plays mm-hmm. out, um, which is why, by the way, Code Pink was the first organization to start a campaign against Trump when everyone thought we were crazy. We saw what was coming the, in January, the year before, started a, you know, um, a dump Trump campaign um, and, uh, you know, went to the media with it, got hundreds of famous people to sign on to it who also thought we were crazy that he had no chance of winning. So it's, it's, I think important, this goes to the question you asked me, it's important to know how things work. And so why are we where we are today? Um, is, <laughs> um, so yes, as a feminist, I'm a socialist because feminism is about equality for all. And my, as I was raised into what feminism was which meant immediately I was a socialist, um, as was Glorious, as is Gloria Steinem, as was Martin Luther King, you know, like as were the people when I was young in the 60s who influenced me. So understanding, you know, colonialism, capitalism, you know, neoliberalism, you know, like understanding all the forms that have been We've been living inside, and I say living inside all of us. It's it's the thing that is always shocking is that we are against things while we are supporting them. Yes. Um, so for me, the war economy, which war serves, has brought us to this moment. The war economy um, is the extractive, destructive, oppressive economy that is sucking the air out of the world. It is killing us, it's killing our communities, and it's killing the planet. But it's what everyone gives their time to and gives value to, actually. Um, And then, you know, as I'm an anti-war activist trying to end war, and I see, well, I'm not going to end war until I end the war economy because it's serving the war economy very well. And guess what? All the people who want peace are funding it. Um, Are funding the war economy? Yeah. Hmm. And can you unpack that a little tax, bit? No, they're funding mm-hmm. war. The people who mean are, are funding war. Right. Because 65% of our tax dollars funds war. So we fund war so it can serve the war economy so it can make the rich richer and the poor poorer. Just FYI. Um, but there is a peace economy. Um, it is the giving, sharing, caring, thriving, relational, resilient economy without which none of us would be alive. 
And every year it gets squeezed and squeezed and squeezed to death, just like the sanctions we place on countries that are socialist and want to share their oil with the people instead of the United States of America. Um, So let me unpack that a little. Mm -hmm. All the things that care for us, that give us life, the planet, teachers, healthcare, caregivers, parents, it's like that those roles get devalued and squeezed, undermined, and strangled mm-hmm. every year. If you go back to the 70s, like, you know, when I started, you know, into work, it was a very different world, a very different world. And I have to say the Clintons play a big role in creating inequality. Um, but when you create, I mean, and, and this is known, it's like I, in my work, it's like I look, there's global inequality, there's global climate change, and there's $1.4 trillion worth of weapons sold a year. Long ago, I looked at that and knew this would happen because this is what happens. This is what happens when you undermine and shift value and, and suck people's attention away from what is real and true and of, 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 of actual value to life. I mean, you get away with freaking murder every day, this, this, this government. Look, we, things you didn't mention was a real coup on Bolivia, just like the coup we did on Iran, same playbook, same kill the, you know, kill the general, fun, you know, put in an American general that goes in and hands out a bunch of money, and then they, they threaten Evo with his life and burn down his cabinet houses and kidnap their kids. The United Terrible. States of America just did, just did that, got yep. away with it. We support a war on Yemen that is causing the biggest humanitarian crisis on the planet. And, and you know, for two and a half years, we worked on getting a war powers resolution to stop it. Trump vetoed it. But there's no Republicans that care enough. There, sorry, there are seven Republicans who care enough to vote to save people, but the fact that life itself has become so devalued. I watched 1917 the other night um, because it's truly an anti-war film. When you're at the end of that, you just see how horribly ugly war is. Um, But in 1917, less than 5% of innocent people died in war. Yet, you know, numbers that are too hard to even crock actually died at war, the people that would throw themselves at, were thrown at it by their governments. Now, in war, 5% of the people who enlist for war die, and 95% innocents die. Hmm. We see that in Guantanamo, it was over 95% were innocent, but um, that's because Bush put them in, you know, a prison. Obama just killed them with drones, and less than 5% of the people he, he killed with those drones have been identified as what could be um, operatives of what we would call an enemy, not sure they're actually an enemy. Um, so, you know, war, we're funding these wars. War is the greatest contributor to the destruction of the planet. The U.S. military 
And, and Big Oil, first, let's just start with these wars that are devastating the planet, people, and our pocketbooks that could be funding, actually, the things our, our lives need, um, are about oil. So let's yes. start the let's start there. But they are also the biggest users of oil. It's the single largest institutional consumer of fossil fuels in the world. Um, it also sucks the money that we need to address the climate crisis, which could be addressed like like the attention that you know to go to the moon. You could take that trillion dollars and invest it in infrastructure jobs. Um, you know, people, the way the war gets funded is that weapons manufacturers make sure that a part is made in every congressional district. But those mm. war jobs are not the best jobs. You could actually take and triple or quadruple the jobs that come out of war funding. It's also the biggest, most wasteful organization there is. Um, I have a nephew that works in um, one of the weapons manufacturers, and he calls it communism because it's like you, you get a job, you don't have to do anything really well, and you're just paid every day. Um, so uh, <laughs> there's no accountability. Um, and it leaves a ginormous toxic weight legacy. I mean, uh, military operations, not just where wars are happening, but where bases are, of which there are 800 now on the planet, they leave these PFASs that are, are they don't, they don't mm. die, they contaminate forever. We, we haven't learned how to get rid of them. And um, the Pentagon has now spent, I believe it's $20 billion just last year on, on um, environmental cleanup of bases. Um, of course, you know, wars ravage the fragile ecosystems that they are taking place in. Not only wars, but just putting in the bases itself. Code Pink has been in many countries working to try to stop bases in the most pristine places in that country. Hmm. Um, it also, you know, so look at just the wars in the last 20 years. Um, but, you know, you can look back to Cambodia and the bombing of Cambodia and the, you know, what that did to Cambodia, both environmentally and then creating the space for Pol Pot. But it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's like you look at the the de what how destabilizing it is, and then it creates really dangerous, you know, social and political situations. I mean, Afghanistan has been warred on for what fifty years, um, and and so what we just added another war for the last twenty years on it. I went to Afghanistan when Obama just got elected and. Um, brought back 4,000 signatures from women in Afghanistan asking him not to escalate, which he did, which cost more money, more lives, and more destabilization of Afghanistan. If he took that money and invested in the women, which were not being invested in, which are still never invested in by the United States, uh, you know, $7 trillion later, Afghanistan is, is, is uh, I can't even talk about it. Anyway, so just that whole destabilization, and then which creates more violence against women, um, and then uh, it creates a destabilization that, I mean, well, the U.S. imperial power right now and its weapons are what allows it to not be held accountable to um, treaties, both on climate change and war. 
Um, and then, of course, there's mass migration um, that's caused by war, that's destabilizing to communities and and undermining of the the countries that take them in, and you know, destabilizing to whole generations. And then it causes increased military state violence, and um, and then we always have you know the nuclear war, which is that hover that is a real existential threat to the planet. And I, what's really distressing right now is, you know, there was a lot of concern, not a lot of engagement, but a lot of concern that World War III was on the brink with um, Iran and and Trump. Mm -hmm. And I've watched it disappear and very little engagement, I just want to say, comparatively. And, you know, that's just part, part, Trump is trying to force the Iranians to go back into um, refining uranium because they want them to break the peace treaty that U.S. has already broken as an excuse to actually go to war with them. And so they sanctions, and then they have a triple sanctions, and they've had a four, quadruple sanctions, and, and Iran is staying fir- firm. It's staying committed to what it was committed to with all these countries. But wow. killing a general... I don't know what's going to happen. And if they start to refine the uranium again, Trump is going to argue that they have a weapon and he's going to have the argument for his October surprise. And he is just, he already has threatened that he knows about these new weapons and he wants to use them on Iran. So, yeah. You know, where, when you recount this, and it is just, you know, a horrifying but, um, you know, a step-by-step interconnection of all of these disparate, um, apparently to people who are not uh, as, you know, informed about this, disparate elements of, you know, what we're actually doing. And, of course, a lot of this, obviously most of it, did not originate with Trump. I mean, he's worsening it, without a doubt, but it's been going on for decades prior uh, to his coming on the scene. In what way do you look at the current primary, uh, you know, Democratic primary, the nomination, and and the odds of uh, a Democratic Party intervention in this? I mean, one thing I noticed at the debates, um, and especially from the outset, was that with, you know, 28 or however many exactly it was candidates on the stage, almost every single one, with few exceptions, Maybe, you know, I know there was one exception who's, you know, proudly anti-war candidate, Bernie Sanders. But, you know, everybody stood up and, you know, talked about America's place in the world and our right and, and, you know, our our, uh, noble role, supposedly, which is a completely, you know, uh, whitewashed perspective of what you just described of being, you know, the policeman of the world. I mean, we're... Did I miss something? I heard I heard everybody in turn, and in fact, whatever their difference in positions on other matters and, and policies were, there was a uniformity in agreement about that. I mean, did you, yes, is that what wanna, you noticed? They want to, yes, of course. It's like we're here to serve the empire. We don't want to talk about what it does to the planet. Um, we, it's it's why we get here because everybody pretends we live in another world that we don't, we don't live in. 
we live in this world that we are destroying. And so people want to just pretend um, and talk about it and everyone will swallow it. I mean, that's another thing that feminism means to me. It means being the, the political is personal and the political must be engaged with, even though, you know, our system just tries to disconnect the political from the personal, the political from even the planetary, um, that we misses that everything is connected. And I think that's part of being a feminist, that it is all connected. And, and for me, that to me is what I understand feminism to be and that I live my life out of. It's like if it is all connected and we are behaving this way, the shadow side of this is really going to be ugly and it's real. Now, what I know is that this is a really interesting race because I mean, let's go back to Jerry's campaign that where nobody, you know, quit and a lot of people started a lot of things out of it, a lot of beautiful things. And one of those was Progressive Democrats of, this, of America that was created by Deputy in my campaign. And he's the one that convinced Bernie to run out of the Jerry campaign. He said, we can do this. The, you know, if there's truth and if there are people that will respond and it feels really good and, and you have to do it. And, and then... He died, and so at his funeral, Bernie said, okay, I'm going to run, and his name was Tim Carpenter, and mm-hmm. so it's like these, these long, you know, the change, we understand change is a long arc and that we always have our shoulder against it, and mm-hmm. so you have in Bernie's campaign, like all the people I was, you know, in Seattle with in 99 against neoliberalism and the violence of the um, the World Bank. Out of that, I've watched so many organizations start, but also be feminist and be anti-imperialist. And in that process, them transform ourselves out of the structures that we were breathing in. Literally notice where we are also the oppressor, we are also the extractor, and how do we continually change the way we behave to take ourselves out of, to divest ourselves from the forms we live in that have tried to convince the world that that it's all that can exist, even though it's very new um, structure, and, and that you know, Marx said long ago that it would kill itself, you know, that that the end of capitalism is, you know, the destruction of everything. And you, you watch the financial times, you know, heads of corporations are saying capitalism has failed. Um, So you, you, people get the war economy has failed. And there are tons and tons of people who have learned not to be separated from each other not to be in identity politics, but to understand that parts of their identity are being oppressed, but not Mm -hmm. to be identity politics, to be a politic for all, for the planet, for the people, for equality, for justice, and not justice like gets thrown down your throat in the United States, justice where laws are only created for rich people and corporations. But the justice we know is internal to ourselves, the justice that is about justice, and every human being knows what that is. And, you know, interesting, like when you're in Afghanistan, one of the things I heard from an American soldier is he couldn't understand why the 
Afghan people were so committed to the Taliban. And I watched an Afghan explain to him, it's because he understands justice. And you mm. only understand power. Mm. Wow. And do you know, an, ama- an amazing American soldier made a movie that um, really tells that story. I actually can't remember the name of it right now, but I, and it didn't get any play. But he went back because he experienced real justice in Afghanistan and his life was saved. And he went back and made the movie about it because it was for him coming out of a country where there are so many lives who live layered in lives. To actually be in a place of authenticity and real human justice was a profound experience for him. Wow. So um, those, that campaign exists. And that campaign is Bernie. It's not about Bernie. It's about the people in the campaign who have fought long and hard to understand and are grounded in values. I mean, the other thing the war economy does is it takes us out of grounded values and has us bobbing around like corks on on an ocean, ungrounded from anything that we could actually make choices from. But this you know, Bernie's campaign is full of people that actually do make choice, actually have evaluated, actually do know that it matters. It matters because they know because they hold that. It matters that you are committed to something with your life. Um, uh, Martin Sheen tells a, a story about, like, somebody going to the, the gates of heaven and, and God saying, you know, let, take off your shirt, let me see your scars. And the guy says, I have no scars. And God looks back at his, him and he says, was there nothing you could find worth fighting for? <laughs> and um, that's the thing. It's, it's that Bernie's life, what you can see in his life is there were things for him worth fighting for, including not becoming a Democrat or a Republican. I mean, just that, just seeing the lies of those two parties and knowing they were wrong and standing in that. A Democratic Party that stands for the rich and still tries to suck the life force out of the poor and the dispossessed. I mean, yep. To me, in some ways, the Democratic Party is more disgusting than the Republican Party because they actually do believe in something. Um, I asked Dan Jones a question. He he was in the Obama White House, and I used to go and see him every week and ask him, tell me what happens inside so I can kind of understand what's coming. Mm-hmm. And um, because he's working to end incarceration, he's partnered with Gingrich. They have this 50-50, cut 50. They want to cut 50% of the incarcerated people. And so he goes into the White House a lot because Gingrich's staff is running the White House. So, and by the way, um, I talked to Van the other day, and in 18 red states, he's freed 151,000 years of people of color's lives by changing Mm. laws, with Gingrich, by the way. Um, But anyway, I said, so what's the difference between the two White Houses? He said, all the people I knew in the Obama White House, their goal in life was to be in the White House. Everyone I meet in the Trump White House, their goal is about an issue and a value. That's extraordinary. Yeah, so there you are, that soldier in Afghanistan, experiencing real justice, and, um, you know, 
and and being able to tell you know another American soldier, oh no, you're about power. That they can recognize that because they live in something else. That you're about power and we're about justice. What do you? I mean, it's why Trump could why Trump could say I could shoot somebody in the face on Fifth Avenue and still win. He he, funny. It's like in his own crazy, insane way, could see how insane things were. He plays on it all the time. Of the, right. you know, he he succeeded by playing on everyone's willingness to deny and not ask questions and not challenge. I'm sure he was challenged, but he just would go to find somebody who wasn't, which is kind of how he does this. It's like, I don't care if I'm challenged. I'm just going to go find the people that are going to appreciate what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, that peace economy I told you about, um, you know, a code pink, we work on getting people to divest themselves from the war economy, including cities and states and pension funds, you know, because we're all invested in war. We're all making a killing on killing. Churches are invested in it. Cities are invested in it. Your pension funds invested in it. You know, everybody's invested in war and making a killing on killing. So, like, just working on that by teaching people it's the water you swim in. If you want peace, you've got to quit swimming in the water and making it happen because you're actually the participator, both funding it by your taxes and funding it as an investment. And then um, there's also practices of um, ways that the, the war economy system creates our behavior. And you can see it, like, when I went to Iraq before we invaded or when I'm in Iran or, uh, you know, when you're in Cuba, you can see the way someone behaves in a more socialist setting. Uh, Iran was – Iraq was a socialist country before we bombed it. Everyone had free education, free health care, and free housing. Um, it creates a very – a different, yeah. Iraq, Iraq was the most educated com- country per capita in the world. More PhDs per capita than any other country in the world. Um, and we've definitely, you know, turned it down back to the Middle Ages, including women. We've you know, sent them way back to the Middle Ages. They were free and running things and not covered. And you know, because that's very clearly how you can see war is not good for women, is look at Iraq or look at Afghanistan. I did a big study on the women in Afghanistan. I actually helped produce a movie before uh, we bombed Afghanistan on the on Afghanistan and before all these wars started happening on Afghanistan. Um, uh, women were running around running things, more women in, in colleges, and they were in miniskirts. So it's a very short period of time. That's the 1970s. So it, we move from, you know, really at at, um, at Reagan when he changed the world, you know, to neoliberal politics, Reagan and Thatcher, we were in a very different politics. And I would say um, we were <laughs> with, you know, those that are attracted to Bernie, it's that they're grounded in socialism, they're grounded in justice, they're grounded in and understanding the system is broken and it's a system that's broken and um, they work on the ground on the issues they understand them they're very real and um, and they don't separate themselves from each other they love each other I it's a campaign built on love um, there's so much love um, here in how Venice, do you, how do you... and I, 
and and being outside with twenty thousand people, just full of that yeah. much love, was was pretty mm-hmm. profound. It was like, ah, yeah, here's my home. Mm-hmm. How do you feel then about um, women who, you know, in you know because of our wounds, because of our experiences of patriarchy, who um, don't look at the entire continuum of what our economy is about, um, but who feel that if we uh, nominate a female leader, um, you know, or a female candidate, you know, candidate for the presidency, that there's some assurance um, that a correction will occur. Well, I feel a lot of things. I mean, compassion, uh, you know, liberal feminism has been on the rise since the 70s, and it's far from being a movement of solidarity. Um, liberal feminism has worked to disseminate the values of neoliberalism capital, you know, at the expense of women, especially women of color, migrant women, women, you know, it's kind of the lean-in feminism, um, and it's kind of where they get fed, and where you get fed is where you believe truth is. And look, you know, we're we're starting out of Could Pink, a feminist foreign policy project to deliver a feminist foreign policy to the next president. Why? Because we looked out at the polls after, you know, our work on peace with Korea, and more women were against peace with Korea. And never in history have women been against peace. And it was like, holy shit. You know, we failed because what infects everyone's brain is 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 imperialism is this idea that you talked about on the stage of the debate you know it's like that's reality for people without really understanding the cost of that um and you know so i feel like if they knew the cost really knew the cost and i've walked a lot of people through this i mean you know could pink is a, a early defender of palestinian rights and you know, it's taken years, but walking people who are even Israeli to the place of seeing a Palestinian as a human being. Well, you know, if you're caught in a system that you're rewarded in and you think that's reality instead of, you know, the purveyor or violence in the world, then it takes a while to deprogram that. Um, You know, it's kind of like watching Hillary yesterday and going, I mean, how how crazy stupid are you? Like to even make a statement like that, except she wanted to be provocative and sell a movie, um, which I get. But but really, did you did you not understand that that was just going to serve to expose you for kind of how shallow and cruel and addicted to the war machine you are, and how really 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 loved Bernie is? I mean, but it there, you know. Um, as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, you get to the place where it's let them eat cake. You, you're, you're close to, to France because the, you really are living in different worlds. And, and you know, the world that, that calls itself the world of capitalism is blowing smoke up your ass. And so you feel like you're hot shit. And um, <laughs> so... Uh, and you get fed it. Let me, you know, uh, winners take all. Read, you know... Uh, Winners take all. It's it 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 really you get in this oh kind of swirl of 
uh, I'm in the good team. I'm part of the good team. And Anon Giri hearted us. He like unmasks it. You know, uh, yeah, the winner. They're taking it all. It's a charade. Um, but but it's feeding people. Um, and and yes, and people and women, you know, rightly so, are freaking angry at the patriarchy and the violence they have had to live inside of, but they haven't quite yeah. connected to thoughts to the system. So, you know, it's, I feel it's a lack of education, part of why we really want to do this feminist foreign policy to articulate really clearly the difference between, you know, like, why for me is Elizabeth a problem? Because she is really bad on foreign policy. We already watched you know, a black man win that was really bad on foreign policy and they just get used by the generals. Um, and, 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 and Bernie has spent the last four years getting really deeply schooled in feminist, in feminist foreign policy. Um, he reached out, he said, I feel it, you know, he's somebody who learns and wants to learn and, and he got schooled, but he, makes the right decision in the right moment so quick right now that I can see it's not, it's become him. It's not like he has to ask you the question. If the thing is happening, he's responding and he's right on it. Even if it's a very, very threatening position to his election. To hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, he's doing and so what happens is those people who know what the right thing is get more and more drawn because we need courage to change this world. We need to be uncomfortable. It's like Jane Fonda and Fire Drill Fridays. You know, being 82 years old, leaving your life and all its comforts, um, and moving to D.C. in the cold and the rain and the snow, getting, you know, willing to get arrested every Friday, bringing your friends to get arrested every Friday, you know, it takes being uncomfortable to change, and so few people are willing to be uncomfortable. And I have to say that Black Panthers taught me about identity politics, and it's how the powers that be separate you. And I, and, and I was schooled by them very early in the 70s, never, ever do identity politics. It's how they win. So uh, that is really fascinating. And so what would it look like uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of walking us through some of the different uh, identities and, you know, talking about, I mean, the issue seems to be, and or one of the issues underlying this seems to be that when one has been in an oppressed or victimized class of people, um, there is, you know, there are several things operative. One is, you know, to get equity and justice for yourself and your community. Another is to get a seat at a table, which can then become an entree to joining the perpetrators. Um, another right. is so I guess that, that feeling... moves to the power. Yeah. Go yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, another is because of my wound, I want to hang out with people who, and we rehearse that endlessly, and then we only trust someone who, you know, resembles us and can hear our particular issue when, as you point out, everything is connected and there are all these interlocking issues that the person representing, you know, my issue may not embody all of them. And then where does that actually leave us? So, I mean, those to me are all of the risks of going down that pathway. But, you know, how do people... Uh, you know, what have you found, like, what do you find is a key uh, points or understandings that help people 
uh, move on from that? Well, yeah, you have to move through all of those things. I, I don't think I would want to deny anyone the opportunity to fully rage there where they sit because it brings wisdom. All of all of the stages yes. bring wisdom, so they're yep. all necessary. It's it's the problem that the structure gets you stuck in one. It, I mean, I'll just say I went to Ferguson. I watched how fast things get co-opted. There were there were more. CIA and FBI in the streets and there were activists and then all the structures that serve the empire, you know, the foundations and the big organizations that are funded by those that want everything to stay status quo swoop down and try to take, you know, take it over, calm it down and um, quiet it and use identity to do that. So um, I, I got to, to watch it really up close and personal and um so it's not to it's it's to be able to create the spaces to be able to move through these things to to mm-hmm. deeper and deeper wisdom. I mean we're all we live to become wise. But if we get stuck in an identity or in a place and and call it there, then we miss the process of becoming wiser. Um and and we're here to to learn use what we learn and grow and and be able to be of use to each other instead of being fed pablum and lies and think they're real and then, you know, be fed stone soup. Um, So, yeah, I, you know, there's amazing people are getting, so why I said we're in a really important race is because there are more people smarter about the system today than I think almost since when I in the 60s, when I think it was a time when people were smarter, or say the 30s. But we've come back to that time where enough people have been kicked out of the system, enough people have been left behind that they aren't sucking at the tit of it, and they see it for what it is, and they want to take it down because they know it is violent. And they watch that violence every day in their lives, and those people know that Bernie is the only answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there, actually, it is quite. And a, if you want to join um, us in the streets mm-hmm. on Saturday, there, the rest of the world knows that too. There's a global call for peace in Iran on Saturday, and it's what's interesting. It's about the U.S., but there's more happening outside of the United States that's happening inside the United States because we have such a short attention span and instead of seeing ah we almost we barely missed world war three what do we need to do to build to make sure that doesn't happen again because it will everybody just disappears and finds another thing to distract them yeah and i hear that you I'd, love to, I, I, I'd like at code pink you can go to codepink.org and find out there's something near you there's 150 locations in the united states that's fantastic. We won't be airing this before next Saturday, oh, okay. um, but I'm glad to know about it, and I can promote it on my webpage. Okay. And if there's another action um, for the following week, <laughs> then you could say it right now, and then we'll include that in, in the edit of the show. So, so or at not, the end not, of May, yeah. on, on Memorial Day, to really recognize in, in a true way to honor those that have been killed in wars, um, there will be a week-long global engagement of activism against war and militarism and for the planet and, and the nourishment of all life. 
and um, you'll be able to find out more at codepink.org. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Um, you know, uh, the um, the acceleration of these different, you know, kind of things that are popping or, you know, and happening in our system right now uh, becomes incredibly distracting um, and overwhelming. And so people will back away from the news or they'll fixate obsessively on, you know, one of these or another. Obviously, if you um, had to kind of prioritize what people are looking at, um, we've just been, you know, you've just been sharing with us throughout this program, you know, your your major priority, which you see and which is completely overarching and pervades all of the others. Are there any, you know, I'd love to hear your comments on, are there any other um, priorities that you find really also important? And are there other of the possible um, kind of pulls on our attention that we get involved with uh, and distracted by um, that, from your perspective, you know, are not as essential on our plate right now or ever, maybe in some cases? I'd love to hear your perspective on some of those. Well, anything you can't touch, um, I would start with, Here's what happens. We live in grandiosity. We live in an empire. We don't realize mm-hmm. it, but it does affect our thinking. And so everyone's yes. about the big and the big effect. And, but guess what? It doesn't happen that way. Actually, change happens, small, incremental build and affecting a culture. And so one of the things we say out of the war economy, peace economy work, is that the one thing you can do that will help you, your community, and the world is to just – Find something in your community that is the most affected thing by the war economy. In my community, it's homelessness and um, and also education. So I started an after-school writing program, and I work um, with homeless youth. But ground yourself in that first because you have to be, whatever you do, it needs to be relational to your heart and to what you know and have to offer. And so many people... I spend all of their day in opinions and the folly of fretting. All waste of time, and all that time you do that, the war economy wins. But if you take the time that you spend, you know, worrying, which does no one any good, and actually engage in what has affected from the war economy your community locally, you will ground yourself in the real you know, reality works in fractals, as, you know, we learn in science. Get inside the fractal, and that you can only do locally, that you can only do with your own heart, mind, and body. Once you do that, I promise you, and once, um, you know, at the Growing a Local Peace Economy, you pull in eight friends or eight strangers in your community, and you start to work together, you yourself will become a different person. You will be grounded which is the first place to start. You will learn how to listen, which will calm your spirit. And you will learn how to be engaged with what is true and real with what you have to offer. Once you start doing that, many things start to grow out of that. But if you can't create a healthy, like brick in the bricks of the future that we need, we're not gonna get anywhere. All this on the big stage is a theater. 
Um, and you, I say to anti-war experts, you didn't start the war in Syria, you're not going to be able to stop the war in Syria. But you are going to be able to build a brick for peace for the future. And we've been so distracted and so caught up in so many other things. Instead of really building healthy culture where we live and being a healthy um, organism inside of that culture, that, you know, the only answer is death and destruction to ourselves and the planet. I am sorry. So we have to turn around from it, quit going off the cliff with it, and create something else. Wow, powerful. I can. That's wonderful. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, and it's also heartening um, because not everybody is drawn to or interested in or is it, you know, finds the, the great stage that accessible. I mean, that doesn't mean we can't phone bank for Bernie or, you know, vote for, for, for yeah, the right people. Yeah, but that's local. Think about that. Mm-hmm. All the things you just said are local. Not only vote. Mm-hmm. If you are voting, that's great, but don't just vote. Be engaged. Mm-hmm. Fall in love with, I don't really, you know, I, I, you know, I'm for Bernie, but I also allow people to fall in love with whoever fits their values in the moment. And that's Mm -hmm. all going to be educational because it'll let everyone else know what needs to be taught, both the powers that be, which they learn how to manipulate us more, and those that want something healthier that will learn what they need to be doing with their life in between campaigns. But it's not about voting. The politics is the personal, Um, and that's also part of being a feminist. And the politic is what we live inside of. And, you know... People that are voting for Bernie don't need to be called, mostly. They know it because they're working side of the mess and they want it to change. So we engage locally from the place of wholeness and heart and love and then creating the conditions that nourish life. Um, It becomes super obvious who to vote for. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. We've uh, come to the end of, I'm thinking of the New York subway system, uh, which we would like to be free. So, and, you know, the homeless people on the system and the people begging for food in in the system in our neighborhoods here. That's what comes to mind. Yes, so just a reminder that that homelessness Mm -hmm. is created by the system. The system only works if there's homelessness and poverty. So whenever I get a fight in my neighborhood about how to treat the homelessness, I say you treat them with the utmost love and respect because you have benefited from the system that they are homeless from. Yes. That makes – thank you for that. That's that's really true and, and really beautiful. Thank you. Uh, we're coming to the end well, of our time Well, thanks for having me on, Allison. It's been great. We've been talking with Jody Evans of Code Pink. Thank you so much, Jody, uh, for your wis- your lived experience and your wisdom and heart. So grateful and lovely to share your wonderful insights and deep wisdom with the listeners of Connect the Dots. Um, thank you, listeners, for being with us. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. I'm Allison Rose Levy. Heads up. Keep marching tall in company with all our relations. Well.